Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Hoping you all had a good Thanksgiving and got together with uh, family or friends uh, for the extra time off. Um, Thanksgiving kind of leads into the holiday season and there's always a, a mix things that we can be thankful for and we look back on the last year and God has been good and provided for us in so many ways. There's also things that are hard as uh, we look ahead and things as Pastor Ryan mentioned, people missing around the table. Um, sometimes it's because uh, another one has passed away. Sometimes it's because they've moved too far away uh, for us to be with them. And, and so we, we feel those things. And then there's extra stuff that happens too, like uh, sickness and fires and things like that. But God gets us through and it's uh, good to be together as the family of God and to support each other as we go through those things. As I think of the uh, focus of our message today here, I'm going to share a a little example here, uh, during the Spanish Civil War, back in the 1930s, there was a general, Emilio Mola Vidal. He was a nationalist general, and he led an attack on the city of Madrid. And as his army marched toward that city, he was asked, well, how many columns of men do you have? And he replied, five. Four at my back, and a fifth inside the city walls. And he was referring to nationalist sympathizers that, that lived inside the city and who were ready to fight for him. The fifth column, he called them. And, and what a powerful picture that is of insider sabotage and, and betrayal. <clears throat> you might not have thought of it in this way before, but there can be a, a fifth column that is inside the Christian church. Traitors who, who claim the name Christian, but who actually are enemies of the church and, and who by their lifestyles or by their teachings actually go against what the Christian church is to stand for. And, and as we have been going through First uh, and Second Peter, we're now in chapter 2 of Second Peter, and here Peter warns us, <clears throat> uh, and what he has to say in this chapter is really in stark contrast to what we just went through in chapter 1, where he explained the solid foundation of truth that we have in our Bibles, uh, which was written by men that were moved by the Holy Spirit of God, and, and who told them then what to speak and write. When we get to chapter 2 here now, he gives us some very sober warnings about false teachers that, that may be within the local congregation or within the Christian church as a whole. John Piper uh, summed it up in what comes in this chapter. He says, there are no commands, no, admonition, excuse me, no admonitions, no imperatives in chapter 2. Just a pure, terrifying description of what will happen to those who fall prey to false teachers in the church. I invite you to look with me at chapter 2 of Second uh, Peter and, and invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as we read. <clears throat> It might be listed on the screen with the whole chapter, but I'm going to read just through verse 9 at this point. <clears throat> but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, 
who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be, will be blasphemed. <clears throat> and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept under judgment, and if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Let us pray. Lord God, as we meditate on these verses today and, and we think of the culture we live in and and the things uh, we hear uh, taught and presented to us in various ways, Lord. Uh, we pray that you would give us discernment in, into truth and error. And, and we pray that you would uh, strengthen us in our faith in Jesus. Uh, we pray in his name. Amen. <clears throat> Please be seated. <clears throat> we see first off simply this, that not all religious teachers can be trusted. It is important that we remember that uh, and are discerning regarding what we hear and read in religious circles. Uh, we live in a culture that has all kinds of religious voices speaking and promoting various moralities and immoralities. And sadly, in our own country, several of the mainline Christian church denominations in recent decades have led the way in this great slide away from biblical standards of morality. However, it is not only them that might teach wrongly. Commentary I read this week reminded me that false teaching is an ever-present and inevitable danger in any church or denomination. And, and so that includes here at Maranatha and, and in the AFLC. And so in what we hear from this pulpit as, as well as what we read and listen to elsewhere, we are to be always on the alert for things that are contrary to the truths that we find in our Bibles, which alone are God's inerrant word. And since the very beginnings of the Christian church in the world, there, there have been false prophets, people teaching things that are not the truth. <clears throat> and so in this chapter, then Peter warns the congregations that are scattered throughout Asia Minor to be on guard against such. And he explains in, in these first three verses then some of the concerns relating to false prophets. First of all, he points out that false prophets introduce destructive heresies that are contrary to God's word. And that word heresy, I, I, I like this definition. It, it's counterfeit opinions. Now we all very much understand what counterfeit money is. It, it's fake money. It, it looks very close to the real thing, but it is actually worthless. And, and that's the way it is with heresy. It is false information that is disguised as truth. And, and Peter warns that there will be those that will smuggle in such Destructive teachings, teachings that will end up then doing great harm to the Christian church. And he says that some will in their teachings even go 
to the extreme of denying the master who bought them. And we do see this in some Christian churches today. They still call themselves Christian, but they don't really follow Christ. Uh, they, they no longer teach that all of mankind are sinful and in need of a Savior. They no longer hold to Jesus' teachings in the gospel. They no longer teach that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but rather that he is maybe one of many ways to God, for instance. And Peter warns concerning such false prophets that their opinions will become popular and many will follow their unrestrained lifestyles. Verse 2, in the translation we read, said many will follow their sensuality. And, and that word sensuality actually has uh, connotations of, of being unbridled living. Now think about it. An, an unbridled horse will go wherever he wants to go, Right? And so we need a bridle to restrain it and to steer it where we want it to go. Well, likewise, false teachers don't want to be restrained in how they live. And so they make up and they teach their own rules. And this is especially true in the area of sexual morality. And that this text brings that up more than once. And we sure see that to be the case in much of our culture these days, including even then in many churches today. And what's the result? Well, Peter says one result is this, that they bring the way of the truth into disrepute. They bring down the reputation of the whole Christian church. And I have to believe that this is part of why in my lifetime there is this great disillusionment that has happened regarding organized Christianity. And church attendance has dropped off tremendously. Well, Peter says about such false teachers that in their greed they, they exploit people. To exploit is, is to make merchandise out of someone or something. And false teachers treat people as things to be used for their own purposes. And I think, for instance, of one pastor of a mainline uh, denomination who described his job as making money for the franchise. What a perspective to have as a pastor. Uh, I'm here not to shepherd the flock, but to fleece them. It's disturbing to me to think of volumes of people being encouraged than to give generous sums of money to churches and church colleges that no longer teach the Bible to be God's Word. Church colleges that, for instance, instead of teaching how God's Word says that from the beginning God made us as two distinct genders, male and female, and that God designed marriage to be between a man and a woman, they instead embrace immorality and encourage their professors to begin each semester even by asking students to list their preferred gender pronouns. Well, in verse 3 here, Peter points out one thing to remember concerning these false prophets, and that is this, that condemnation hangs over them. And God is not sleeping. Almighty God is not unaware of what they're doing, and the time is coming when he will deal with them. Verse 3 here, he says, Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their de destruction is not asleep. And so as we look on here then in verses 4 through 9, Peter gives us some Old Testament examples of, of how God dealt with the righteous and the unrighteous in the past. And the main point then of this section really is to warn that since God has punished unrighteousness in the past, he will punish it in the future as well. <clears throat> and so we have three examples here. One of them is of the angels. <coughs> Excuse me. In verse 4 here he says, For if God did not spare the angels 
when they sinned, but, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. If we look back in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, it, it tells us a little more about this situation and how before the creation of the world, Lucifer led a rebellion in heaven, which resulted in his, him and his followers being cast out of heaven and ultimately then doomed to eternal destruction in hell. And Peter says those fallen angels are a reminder to us that it doesn't work to despise the authority of Almighty God and to just try to set up our own kingdom. And so also for any human who decides to reject God's authority throughout his earthly life and not repent of it, ultimately he or she will someday hear the words of Jesus as, as it's told of in Matthew 25, where he says, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the fire that's been prepared for the devil and his angels. The second example from the Old Testament that Peter gives here is in verse 5. It says, if, he, if, if God did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If you go back to Genesis chapter 6 uh, through chapter 10, it, it gives us a, a record of this great flood that God sent to wipe out all of humanity except for one family, that family of Noah, who were the only ones that still sought to obey God. John Piper, as he sums this up, says, If the false teachers do not learn the lesson from the, fa the fallen angels, let them learn it from the flood. God swept away the ungodly in judgment. And if the case of the fallen angels and the case of Noah's generation do not deter people from following false teachers, then surely the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah will wake them up to God's wrath. For these cities were judged for their very licentiousness that the false teachers commended. Well, do you remember the biblical account of, of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah? Genesis 7, or 18 and 19 describe the decadent state of, of those cities where homosexuality had become rampant and, and visitors to the city were in danger of being exploited sexually by a mob. And, and how God then rescued Lot and his wife and daughters before raining down fire and brimstone from heaven and consuming those cities. <clears throat> and Peter reminds us here concerning them, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, God condemned them to extinction, making an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by essential conduct of the wicked. Um, and then we have, if you look at verse 9, a summary statement concerning all three of these Old Testament examples. He says, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the flesh of defiling passion and, de and despise authority. Now, of course, Peter doesn't mean simply that God knows how to do this. Peter is saying God has clearly done this in the past, and he will again in the future. Destruction is not sleeping. It will come. And so, as we think of what we've covered here so far in this text, what, what do we learn for our lives today? I appreciated four things that John Piper summed it up with. He, he said, first, Recognize the church is not immune from false teachers. Second, advocating sexual immorality is heresy. It's an offense against Jesus Christ. Um, who's, and it's a denial then of the master who bought us because he died in order to free us 
from the domination of sexual passion. And then third, he says, divine judgment is coming upon those that deny Christ in this way. And so that means that we, we dare not encourage people to just go about their business and live their lives as though nothing significant matters here. Heaven and hell hang as, as whether we follow Christ and seek to live in righteousness or whether we deny him and live contrary to his word. And then he says, fourthly, though, this. You can be saved from the judgment if you repent and trust in the master that bought you with his blood. Built into the way that God runs the universe is this principle that punishment does not always immediately follow rebellion. God often delays to give people an opportunity to repent. And to me, it's very interesting, these Old Testament examples that Peter uses here. Because as you think about Noah and Lot, they were far from sinless. And the Bible actually records moral failures on both of their parts toward the later part of their lives. And yet overall, the biblical record calls them righteous men because, you see, they lived in repentance and faith. Well, as we look on in the rest of 2 Peter chapter 2 here, what should we be looking for as we seek then to discern truth and error in religious teaching? Well, Peter gives us some general characteristics of false teachers in verses 10 and following. And really, you might say this is a list of ministers and ministries from which we should flee. Flee from ones who indulge the corrupt desires of their sinful nature. Ones where there's this definite self-centered and self-indulgence in their lifestyles. Flee from teachers who despise authority. Ones who, for instance, reject the historical teaching of the Christian church over the centuries and reject the authority of the Bible. Ones who reject then even the concept of moral absolutes and instead embrace um, modern relativism. Flee from teachers who are bold and arrogant rather than humble. <clears throat> Verse 10 here, he talks of them as daring and self-willed. They don't tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring reviling judgment against them before the Lord. And I believe there that Peter is pointing out that, that angels are obedient messengers from God, and they would not dare to alter the message that God gives them to deliver. But not so with these false teachers who, who dare to change what, what God has declared in his written word. And, and who would even then make fun of the very idea of there being supernatural beings such as angels. They, he says, they slander celestial beings and they, and they blaspheme. To blaspheming is to, to speak ir irreverently about God and about sacred things. And says, look out for any, any teachers like that. Don't listen to them. Flee from them. Then he also mentions to do so regarding ones who are, in verse 13 and 14, who are carousers and, and adulterers. They, they count it a pleasure, he says, to revel in the daytime. They are, they are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. That, that is, they, they have this open sinful lifestyle that they're unable to stop. <coughs> Excuse me. And then Peter also describes such false teachers, and he says that they are experts in greed and enticers of others. That is, they are not satisfied with just living their, their lifestyle themselves, 
but they do their best to look for vulnerable people to draw into joining them in what they're doing. Verse 14, they entice un unstable souls. They have hearts trained in greed. And, and here Peter mentions one more fascinating Old Testament story, <clears throat> and it's the, the example of Balaam. Balaam was a prophet of God who gave in to a bribe. And, and so he was, he was heading out to proclaim a false word as if it was from God. And God stopped him, using a donkey to speak to him. And Peter says that false teachers have the same weakness as Balaam. They love money so much that they're willing to speak falsely as if their word is a word from God. And don't we see that in our society today? How money corrupts? And as a result, we have people willing to spread lies in the political world and in the media, even in things relating to the medical profession and certainly in the religious realm. One more description that Peter mentions concerning such false prophets is, is, that we are to flee from is, is that they, are, they, they promise freedom, though they themselves are slaves to corruption or depravity. And it, think about how backwards this is. I, imagine, for instance, if, if someone in prison promises you that, that if you'll send them some money, then you'll be free. How many of you would send them some money? Doesn't make sense, does it? They're the ones that aren't free. But that is what false prophets or false teachers do. They, they claim, for instance, that there's no coming judgment. We're free to do anything we want, and that's not even true. But they don't realize, they don't publicize that they themselves are actually enslaved by destructive sinful habits and patterns in their daily lives. And, and again, what Peter is strongly pointing out in this chapter is, is that such false teachers, if they don't repent, are, are destined for judgment. <clears throat> and the great danger is that not only are they destined to go there, but they lure vulnerable Christians and undiscerning ones to, to follow them down the path of destruction. And, and so Peter ends this chapter with mentioning the dangers of knowing the truth and then turning from it. And you look at verse 20 to 22 there, he points out that, that it's possible to escape and then again become entangled. It's possible to admit your sins and trust in Jesus for forgiveness and for power to change and then later slip back into those old sinful habits and become enslaved by them. And the danger is that if you continue down that destructive path and living in unrepentance, it can lead you to then even reject Christ altogether and go lost for eternity. Verse 20, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they again are entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. Turning back to old ways, you see, can lead to being worse off than if they'd never even known the truth. Better to have not yet even heard the way of salvation, to still be a pagan, but to be one who still has a chance to hear it and respond in faith, than to have heard it and believed and then turn away and reject the faith. Because then you see the heart has become so much more hardened against the promptings of the Holy Spirit and we need the Holy Spirit in order to repent and to believe in Jesus. And Peter ends then with two colorful, but more than that, repulsive illustrations of how awful that is. And he says it's like a dog who throws up and then comes back and eats the vomit. It's like a sow 
who after it gets all cleaned up, goes right back to wallowing in the mud. And this is the picture for the false teachers who turn their back on Jesus and his word, and also for those who follow those false teachers. And it is a very sad state of affairs. As we consider then the sobering warnings of this chapter, how about you and I today? Are we daily being rescued from trial, looking to Jesus for his help? Or are we ones who are being kept under punishment that is to come? You see, it all depends on what we're doing with Jesus. Are we among the unrighteous, living in our own merits? Are we daily aware that we're sinners and daily trusting in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Are we daily looking to Jesus or away from him? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you today that Peter was willing to give us these sober warnings. Lord, may our eyes be open to where there is falsehood that is being proclaimed as truth, whether that be within the church or, or out there in our culture. Lord, we recognize that the, the, the trends of the culture creep into the church. We also recognize that at times that the church has gone astray from your word and even led the culture down that path. And Lord, we ask that you would bring revival in this land. Lord, that there be a turning back to you and your word and the truth that is there. And that that would define what is right and wrong. That would guide us in what is moral. And Lord, we pray that you would help us as Christians as we live in this world where, where the perspectives on those things are, are changing so significantly that, that we would be willing to stand on your word and, and, Lord, that we would not be lured into things that are not good, but, Lord, that you would keep us living in daily repentance and faith and that you would help us to be witnesses for you in, in a world that so desperately needs to hear uh, of the hope that we have of forgiveness of sin and eternal life in Jesus. Uh, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>